Uh, Jonah in chapter 4, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? We'll start at 3 and then verse 10. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? And Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he would see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a great worm when it came dawn the next day and attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. And God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry, even the death. The Lord said, You had compassion on the plant which you did not work, and which you did not not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on none of the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand or their left, as well as many animals? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated and please uh, go for me. Uh, Pray for me. Pray for yourselves as we sit under the proclamation of God's word this evening. Let's pray. Almighty God, your word is a treasure uh, to us as your people, and it is to our good that we read it and that we study it, and this account of this reluctant prophet Jonah, which in so many ways shows to us your sovereignty as well as your great grace, and pray that you would be with us this evening, be with me as I would preach this text, be with uh, your people as they sit and listen. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes we are slow learners of all of God's creatures. We tend to be, it seems, the slowest of learners. And it shows us again and again God's grace, God's compassion, God's loving kindness, and God's mercy. Because we do the same thing so often over and over and over again. We make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And we find the sins that we dealt with when we were younger, we still deal with them today over and over and over again. We see that in the life of this man, Jonah. Jonah was a man who was in rebellion against God from the beginning of this book to the end of the book. 
There never was a moment when he willingly did what God called him to do. He was again and again rebelling against the Lord. He refused to understand God's inclusivity, God's love, and God's compassion, and if you will, the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, where it talks about Christ, God being a light to the nations. Here we see that happening in the Old Testament with the people of Nineveh. As these people who were not Jews, who were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, who were not a part of the descendants of Abraham, nonetheless had this preacher sent to them, and they hear the word of God preached, and they respond to the proclamation of the word of God. And it is, I think, because God is a God of grace, we should expect to see God work and bring people to faith. We should look forward to seeing God work and bringing people to faith. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we have written some people off. We say, what's the use in praying for them? What's the point in bringing them before the Lord? They're not going to be converted. They're not going to be saved. They're so hardened in their heart against the Lord, they're not going to come to faith. And yet, we have a world that is to be evangelized, and a God who is powerful, and a God who saves people. And we should witness with that same end. We should pray with that in mind. As we see this great work that Jonah does, God did through the life of this man, Jonah. So several things, but the focus of it is on God's grace. So we see God's great grace in the patience in dealing with Jonah. God's great grace in his patience in dealing with this man, Jonah. Jonah is used by the Lord. He parks himself on the east side of the city. Uh, he has gone to a people of Nineveh. He, he preached. How did they respond? Not in unbelief. And not in scorn, not in hatred for the preacher for telling them their sins, they responded in faith. They believed the word that Jonah read to them, that Jonah preached to them, and they came to repentance. And understand this, repentance must always necessarily follow faith. There is no such thing as faith without repentance. There is no such thing as repentance without faith. Repentance necessarily follows Faith, once we embrace the Lord, we do turn away from our sin, are sorry for it, and seek to live a life that's pleasing to God. Well, to this event that's happening, their, their um, repentance met with Jonah's great disapproval. He was a nationalist of the worst sort. He was one who knew that these people, if they trusted God, would not be destroyed. He preached reluctantly. He saw them come to faith reluctantly, and now he goes and he sits outside of the city. Most people, most preachers I know, if they had this kind of response to their preaching, would be very happy about it. This mass revival take place. They would be happy about it. They'd be praising God for it. This man, Jonah, is not praising God for it. As a matter of fact, he is upset at the way God has worked in the lives of these people. I told you one time that, that preachers are not much. Palmer Robertson had on his desk, a, a, from what I understand, I never saw it, uh, but Bill Smith, who used to work with him, told me he had a, a thing on his desk and it said, I'm not much. Uh, the, one of the best Old Testament scholars that are still alive today, a great, brilliant man, very, very gifted fellow, but he has on his desk, I'm not much. And the simple fact of the matter is uh, that God can use anyone and anything to deliver his message. I will remind you of Balaam and his donkey. 
uh, in Numbers in chapter 22, how the Lord used that animal to speak to Jonah. And also remind you that one time I heard Al Martin say that if the, if the Lord can use the, the animal's the mouth of an animal to deliver his word, he can use an unconverted preacher. And listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians in the second chapter. And again, under the whole idea that ministers, preachers are not much. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Paul carried forth. That's what Paul was preaching. It was with you in my weakness. I was with you in my weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message was my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and the power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Where was Paul preaching? He was preaching in Corinth. What was Corinth known for? Philosophers, great thinkers. The Apostle Paul did not mingle, did not mix pagan philosophy so as to somehow and in some way make the gospel more attractive. We don't have to make the gospel more attractive. We preach it and depend upon God to bless. But preachers of all professions in the world should be the humblest of men because they can do nothing, accomplish nothing, achieve nothing without the grace of God blessing the proclamation of that word. So Jonah is going, has gone out. He has seen this great work that God has done. And he sits on the east side of the city and watches. Now, what's he wanting? Imagine, imagine this is historical fact. This guy tried to run away. He wasn't successful. He had to preach. He didn't want to. God blessed. Now he's sitting outside on the east side of the city watching. Now, what's he watching for? What's he waiting for? Well, you know, from the text, what he's waiting for, he hopes that God will indeed destroy the city anyway. God didn't say uh, he wouldn't destroy it. He said within 40 days, if they don't repent, he didn't say what would happen after the 40 days. So there is an ignorance on the part of the, uh, the uh, uh, prophet, perhaps. Uh, it is also uh, more than likely Jonah's hoping that their profession is false. How many people do you know that have professed faith and left the church? I know a lot throughout the years of my life, a lot. The professed faith gave evidence of repentance, and they left the church for one reason or another. It's called a false profession. So Jonah is likely thinking that perhaps these individuals Perhaps these individuals said they were sorry. Perhaps, though, in fact, they're not really sorry. They were just scared. You know, when John, Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I heard that people were wailing. They were terrified. That was true repentance. <laughs> the Lord blessed that preaching, blessed that sermon that was preached to those people. So here Jonah is hoping that perhaps these people aren't really sincere and the Lord will smite them anyway. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jonah hoped that there would come disaster, including a false conversion. After all, Jonah knew how vile these people were, though perhaps the Lord didn't. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He goes off, hopes some destruction to come, whether it's fire from heaven, an earthquake, some type of, of blight, some type of insect, some type of manifestation of uh, uh, destruction, and that's what he is hoping for. 
and the Lord sees, and the Lord takes note. He sees Jonah sitting on the east side of the city. He knows why Jonah is sitting on the east side of the city. And how would you have dealt with Jonah had you been in a situation like that? If you had had authority over Jonah, how would you have dealt with him? If you sent him to do something, he didn't do it, tried to run away, and then he had to answer to you, what would you do? God shows him kindness. God shows him mercy. And he teaches him lessons in his great school of grace. The Lord takes care of Jonah. So we see God's great grace can be seen in this patient teaching of Jonah. So he takes care of this prophet. Uh, he provides a cover for Jonah. Jonah makes some kind of lean to to be in the shade. Very hot, arid place. 115 degrees sometimes. Can you imagine? I would want to die too if I was in 115 degrees and not, no, no shade over me. No air conditioning? I would not have survived had I lived back in those days. I don't know how they did that. So anyway, uh, the Lord provides uh, this uh, plant. And it grows up very quickly overnight. And this, again, shows his sovereignty and his working. And if you look at this, several times in this chapter it says, and the Lord provided this, the Lord provided that, and the Lord provided this. Again, demonstrating God's sovereignty over all of these things. As God was sovereign over the storm, the Lord appointed a fish. He was sovereign over the fish. He was sovereign over the plant. He was sovereign over the heat, sovereign over the, the wind that blew, sovereign over all of these things. And all of them... Ultimately, to teach us of his great sovereign mercy and grace and also to teach Jonah as well. There's a great deal of debate about what kind of plant it was. Some say it was a castor oil plant. The fact is we don't know what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. It's irrelevant what it was. Uh, I like to garden. My grandfather loved to garden. I won't talk about that, but he, was, he had a green thumb. He could make anything grow. If you've ever raised squashed... And they look fine in the morning. And you go home in the afternoon and they're flat. You cut them open, you'll find worms inside the stalks. Uh, and they, they fall down in a few hours. They're gone. Well, the Lord provided this plant. He provided it to give comfort to the prophet. He's grateful for the plant. He's happy for the plant. And then the Lord provides a worm. And the worm destroys the plants. And the plant dies. And this is just an amazing thing. He is so upset about God's kindness and grace to the enemies of the people of Israel. He wanted to die. Now that the plant has died again, Jonah wants to die. Take my life. It's better for me to be dead than to be alive. And yet look how gracious God is to Jonah. He speaks to him kindly. Do you have a, right, do you have a, a real reason to be angry? He doesn't chastise him. He isn't hard on him. He simply asks a question. Do you have a right to be angry as you are dialoguing with him? And Jonah answers, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Well, the last thing of God's great grace can be seen in his sparing of Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked capital of a wicked nation, Assyria. Assyrian life was a life of lust. It was a life of power hungry. It was a life of worshiping false deities. A city that had formed and developed apart from the influence of God's grace, apart from the influence of the Old Testament gospel. 
If you look at our nation today, it seems like more and more as we develop, we are developing further and further apart from the influence of Christ and the influence of the gospel. And you can imagine a city that had absolutely no influence. We have here in this country, we have churches all over the place. And yet, where is the impact of the preaching of the gospel? Where is the impact of lives being changed and people coming to repentance and faith? We don't see it. And as we listen to so many um, ministers on television, we hear them preaching, and they seem to leave out accountability to God. They leave out the reality of sin and God's hatred for it and God bringing judgment upon it. And so we go on our merry way, continuing down the road of destruction as people ignore over and over and over God's commandments, God's call to holiness, God's call to repentance. Now we continue on. Well, Assyria and Nineveh was a wicked city. It had not been under the influence of the Old Testament gospel, as it's called in the Scriptures. They were indeed a wicked people. And what did they deserve? What did the people of Nineveh deserve? They deserved God's wrath, and they deserved God's condemnation. What do we deserve? What do we earn? We earn God's wrath and condemnation. That's what we deserve. Listen to this. We deserve no more good from God than did the Ninevites. We don't deserve His goodness. We don't deserve His grace. We don't deserve His kindness and His mercy. Well, they didn't either. But the mystery of it all, as you read this and think about this Old Testament prophet who was God's man for the job, his disdain for the progression of the Old Testament gospel, of people coming to faith. You know, are we like that? Have we set a people off that we would just assume they never come to faith? Or again, as I said a bit earlier, that we have written them off, that there is no need to pray for these people because they're never going to come to faith in Christ. Well, if it was up to us to argue them into the kingdom, you're right. We can't argue anyone into the kingdom. But the sad thing is, so often people perish and we don't care. We don't have a burden for the lost as we should. A burden for those who are without the, uh, again, as he puts it here, knowing their right hand from their left hand. Well, it's not that God looked at the Ninevites and saw that they were a charitable people. And as he looked at them and saw what they were, they were indeed wicked and rebellious. But he looked at them through the eyes of loving compassion and grace. And that God who is gracious, that God who is most kind, that God who is long-suffering had compassion upon them and blessed the preaching of the reluctant preacher. And they came to faith. And the whole city came to faith. You may remember that the king called for a universal fast among the whole city. Not only did they put sackcloth on the people, they put it on the animals as well to demonstrate the deep depth of their repentance and sorrow. So our great God who owns all creatures has the right to do with them as he will, to show mercy as he will, to withhold mercy as he will. It is his right. It is his prerogative. Listen, please, to the reading from uh, Romans in the ninth chapter. 
starting in verse 12. This is dealing with God's sovereignty, uh, his uh, right to express grace as he chooses. Uh, 9 and verse 12. Um, it was said to her, the younger will serve the older. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Now again, as we read that, we can't interpose our own ideas of hatred upon uh, on God. Ours are sinful, his are not. What it simply means is his special favor that he extended to Jacob was not extended to Esau. And he chose to leave Esau in that unconverted position. Uh, what shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Uh, may it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this reason, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, well, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? It's not fair. This business of election, it's just not fair. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? I love that verse. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who has the right to do what he does and do what he pleases with one lump of clay to make one of honor and to make one of dishonor. Jonah should have read Romans 9, except it wasn't written at the time when he was preaching. But he certainly should have understood God's compassion and grace, because had God not had compassion and grace toward Jonah, Jonah would have been on the other on the receiving end of God's wrath and condemnation. And so he owns all things, and God has the right to do with all that it is his with how he wills. And we keep in mind that the essence of God is good. God is altogether good. God is altogether righteous. God is altogether compassionate. God is altogether merciful. And when we experience trials and difficulties in our life, it's not because God has ceased to be merciful. It's not because he has ceased to be kind. It's not because he all of a sudden decides he does not love us. It's not because he's lost power. It's because he loves us, that he takes us through difficult times. This, in the life of Jonah, was a difficult time. It shouldn't have been. It should have been a time of great rejoicing for this prophet. Again, if I saw a multitude of people converted from my preaching, I'd be very happy about it. I might get prideful even about it. Uh, which would be a bad thing. <laughs> That's where sin comes in. Because it is up to God to bless his preaching, as he did here in this case. So God is teaching this man, Jonah, these various lessons. And what is the object lesson to Jonah? Well, he uses, of all things, a plant. And the heat. So the plant comes up, and it withers over the next day. It comes up there over the night. The next night it withers and gone. Jonah is very upset with God. He is not pleased with this. The text tells us that. He was not pleased about this. He was not pleased with God's compassion. He was not pleased with God's mercy. He was not pleased with the conversion of the Ninevites. He's not pleased about the plant dying. Well, now it's time for the lesson Jonah is to learn. 
you had compassion for a plant. And you were sorry to see a plant die, but you had no compassion on the people in Nineveh. No compassion whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Jonah, what you desired was their destruction. You desired to see them. People made in, in your likeness, in your character, you desired to see them die. Should, you not, should I not have had compassion on those who did not know their right from their left? And there's the lesson that Jonah has to learn. 120,000 people in that city. And I love this when it says, it said, I'm read from the English Standard, uh, American Standard because I can't find my mother Bible. I put it somewhere. I just don't know where I put it. Um, In the uh, English Standard Version, it says cattle instead of animals. But it's very interesting to me that uh, that is included in the text when God speaks to to Jonah. Uh, 120,000 people plus cattle. Animals uh, that God included uh, in a reason for being kind and sparing the city, the people and the animals that were there as well. Well, what can we learn from this? One thing that I think comes to us is that we cannot have people that we so disdain, we don't want to see them come to faith in Christ. We should desire to see the Muslim world converted. We should desire to see the people that we don't care for converted and brought to faith in Christ. We should desire that and we should pray for that. But we have our hit list, you see. And we think to ourselves, they need to be in hell. What a good thing that would be. That's what Jonah was thinking about the Ninevites. They need to be in hell. What a good thing that would be. And see that we're not in the place to say that. We should have a concern that the wicked are going to suffer and pay for their sins of unrighteousness against the Lord. That's an aspect of God's justice and judgment. But you don't know who they are. You have no idea who they are. As a matter of fact, if it weren't for God's grace, that's where you would be. You'd be living among the Ninevites and practicing the same things that they practice. So it is that uh, we have broken relationships and we hold grudges, perhaps, and we don't have really a whole lot of compassion or love for some people, and that's just wrong. Just wrong. Another thing, uh, we have to be willing to conform to God's secret will. And what is his secret will? It's the things that we don't know. His providence as it unfolds in our lives. I know you can think back over your history. You can bring things to mind that you would desire not have happened. Uh, I can do that. Today, I had a brother, never saw him. I would like to see him to this day, but I can't. That's something that's in the past, and I can't change it. We have to be accepting of those kinds of things and trust God. Since that happened, that was best. I don't see or understand it, but we walk by faith, not by sight. Knowing God is good and gracious, we have to be accepting and conform to the secret will of God. He does not make mistakes. He does not make errors. He does not say, "Uh uh-oh, got to replay that one. There are things that we do not understand that happen to us in this life. We can either continue in rebellion against him 
or we can accept it and take comfort in Christ, which is what we have to do. Another thing that we have to remember is God is sovereign over all of the affairs of the world. He's not lost control. Uh, he is still on the throne. He is in control of everything taking place in the world. He is also in control of every aspect of your life, every day that you live. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. And he is with you. We have to remember his sovereignty over everything. Is there anything that comes out about Jonah? Two things that come out, to, three things actually. The idiocy of Jonah. That one just didn't make any, The way he lived made no sense whatsoever. For him to be a prophet of God, he should have known better than do the things that he did. The second thing is the amazing sovereignty of God throughout this book. That God is going to have his way in your life. He's going to. The third thing is his great grace and mercy and kindness. Expressed not simply to the people of Nineveh. But to this man Jonah, and what a loving and kind lesson God taught to this man Jonah as he had mercy upon him again and again. The things that we do not like that have happened in your life, pray for the Lord to change your heart. Pray for the Lord to change your heart and praise him for his goodness. Praise him for his goodness. Is God good? Yes, he is. Praise him for it. This morning, remember, we look forward to not simply dying and going to heaven. We look forward to that. We look forward to the return of Christ. And in that time, I'll see my brother. Let's pray.